want to just pray um, for um, clarity, for a spirit of boldness, Lord, for a spirit of purpose, that John will know that the word that you've given him is the word for today. Lord, soften our hearts, open our ears, um, let our minds absorb what it is that he has brought from the Lord for us. Give him a boldness to speak out in a mighty way, Lord, that your word might go out and that your name might be glorified. We just pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Graham. Hi. We've just been singing that song, Amazing Grace, and the theme I've been given for today is danger and risk. And uh, it struck me there's one line in that song, and we sing it with gusto, but I don't know whether it's actually true in our experience. It goes like this, through many dangers, toils and snares we have already come. Through many dangers. Really? <coughs> toils and snares may be, not maybe, certainly. Earlier in this series, right at the beginning, Graham left us in no doubt that Christians will experience trouble. Indeed, James, in one of my favorite Bible books, tells us that trials of various kinds are inevitable for the Christian believer. We've been around here six months. I've just got a little bit nonplussed when every time Arlene sees me coming, she says, here comes trouble. So I don't know whether that's the same kind of trouble that we're talking about here or that Graham had in mind. But the truth is this, and you will have experienced this, bad things happen to good people and bad things happen to God's people. And sometimes it's in our darkest times that we've experienced God's presence the most. Life-threatening illness, bereavement, redundancy, rejection. But danger is something else altogether. And I've been trying to recall the times in my life when I've been in real danger, and I can only really think of two incidents. And the first one was three weeks after Ruth and I were married, and uh, I was stopped at knife point by a hoodie, and there should be a picture of a hoodie appearing for us just there. And uh, it was a dangerous experience. And in the middle of this dangerous experience, there's a longer story for, uh, I've told some of you before, but I just heard this little voice shouting out, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command this demon to flee. And the guy ran off saying, you're blank, blank, lucky. <laughs> but it was a dangerous moment. Ruth could have been widowed three weeks after we were married. And, and then she took me to South Africa, and in South Africa, I was looking forward to a very interesting experience. I, I was looking forward to pursuing or experiencing a new water pursuit, and the guy that we were staying with, he'd started doing this thing. I can't even remember what it's called, but it was long, narrow things that you sat on, and it was heading towards an Olympic sport, and he was being trained by some people who were Olympic level, and we were to meet him at four o'clock, and I'd got my kit off ready, and was all ready to go in the water, and he was late, five minutes late. And just before he came, the sirens sounded, the flag went up, and that isn't Nemo on the flag. <laughs> A big shark had just come into the bay, and the shark was 14 feet away from the professionals who were on these kind of boats. If I had been in there, I've been a strong swimmer all my life, but what I have got to shore safely. You'll have your own stories of 
dangerous moments. Maybe that's something you can share with one another over coffee a little bit later. But I wonder actually specifically today if any of us can hand on heart say that we've experienced specific danger as a result of following Jesus Christ. Many Christians love the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, those well-known sayings of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. And often, it seems to me, we stop short after number 8. Up until then, it's all about other people. Blessed are the peacemakers, the pure in spirit, etc. Even, even the one that says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then, bang! Jesus turns on the disciples. He turns on us by implication. He says, blessed are you! When people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In the upper room on the night of Jesus' last supper with his disciples, he prepared them. In John chapter 15, he says, Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. And our Bibles make it clear to us, leave us in no doubt, that the early Christians had it tough from Stephen, the first Christian martyr, onwards. And Paul and his associates experienced hardship, and he catalogues some of it here as he writes to the Corinthian church. And we're going to read from 2 Corinthians 6, 3 to 13. Paul writes, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We're not withholding our affection from you, but you're withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. It'll be quite helpful if you've got a Bible open, you keep it open at that particular passage because we're going to dip into it, particularly seeing the way in which Paul speaks of the dangers he's experienced. The dangers. Paul has a specific reason for rehearsing the dangers his ministries exposed him to. You'll remember this from previous weeks. The Corinthian Christians have accused Paul of not caring for them, of abandoning them, of not keeping his word. And Paul catalogues his experiences to say, guys, where do you think we've been? We've not been away on a Mediterranean cruise luxuriating while you struggle. We've been in the thick of it. Our battle scars are our badge of authenticity. Some of you may remember Richard Wurmbrandt, who wrote a book called Tortured to Christ. Who's old enough to remember Richard Wurmbrandt? It was way back in the 60s, a long time ago. 
Richard Fulmbrandt was in Romania, and he was tortured for Christ. He wrote this classic book, and he had this habit in meetings of whipping off his shirt and turning around and showing people the scars on his back that he'd received in jail as tortured for Jesus Christ. And, and Paul's scars... I guess he could have done that because of the beatings, because of the things that had happened to him. But he's rehearsing his scars here and saying, guys, I'm genuine. Looking on, we can conclude that serving Christ is both dangerous and risky. And there are other things in this passage than the dangers. There's some of the good stuff, good stuff too. But specifically under the title of danger and risk today, we're looking at the bad stuff. Paul suffered physically from other people, including the authorities and the mob, verse 4, verse 5, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots. Paul suffered through hard work, hard graft. Second part of verse 5, in hard work, sleepless nights. Did he lie awake sleeplessly, wondering if somebody was going to come and attack him in the night? Or was it mental torment, mental torment when he was awake, worrying through the night about what was going to happen next? Hunger. Hard work. After decades as a Baptist minister, I still came across smart Alex, who alleged that a minister only works one day a week. Now, I haven't knowingly encountered a lazy church leader. On the contrary, intimidated by the expectations of their congregation, many church leaders feel the need to prove themselves by workaholism, and far too many therefore experience burnout. But Paul was working all out for the gospel. Through resisting temptation, how do I know that verse 6 says, in purity? Now, the apostles were human like everyone else. They would be tempted with the sensual, especially in a city like Corinth. Corinth was the sensual capital of Greece, and behind the town was the hill of a thousand prostitutes. I have climbed that hill, and when I got to the top, I was too tired to do anything else but sit and look at the view. <laughs> But the pressure would be to conform, the pressure for Paul would be to be like everyone else, and for the Corinthian Christians as well. And yet he remained pure. He was slandered. Verse 8, bad report, how awful it is when people say horrible things about you. Sometimes you may deserve it. That's bad enough, but when it's not true, that really hurts. He was misrepresented, verse a genuine yet regarded as impostors. His life was threatened, verse 9, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed. He was materially poor, verse 10, having nothing. Now we know God is no man's debtor, but if we follow Christ with the motive of becoming rich, we may well be disappointed. He was hungry. This is a really hard one. He was rejected. Rejected by the very people that he'd come to serve. Verse 12, you are withholding your affection from us. You know, I have a suspicion that this was the hardship that hurt Paul the most. Rejected by those he was called to serve. By those he had introduced to faith. 
A man I know, the founder of an effective church stream in the United Kingdom, experienced a coup in the form of a leadership challenge from younger leaders who thought he should have handed on the baton of leadership long ago. And he told me with sadness how the hardest thing for him, when those that he had led to faith, those that he had baptized and discipled, he'd been totally involved in their lives over many years, crossed the road rather than engage him and even at hello. As Christians, we can be so cruel and heartless. And throughout the Christian centuries, believers have been persecuted for their faith. In Oxford, I don't know whether you know the center of Oxford, there's a monument there, the Martyr's Memorial. It commemorates those burnt at the stake for their Protestant belief. In Zurich, in Switzerland, believers were drowned in the river Limmat because as Anabaptists or rebaptizers, they seemed to like water so much. So Zwingli, who was the Protestant reformer in Zurich, said, you like water so much, go and drown then, and tied our forebears to planks and threw them in the river. And the crazy thing about both these situations is that believers were put to death by fellow Christian believers in Oxford. The Protestant martyrs burnt at the stake by order of the church. In Zurich, the Anabaptists drowned in the river on the instructions of Zwingli, himself a Protestant reformer, but not prepared to go as far as the Anabaptists in doing what the Bible says. Martyrs. In our news bulletins these days, we hear about martyrs, but martyrs for a different cause. We had a 14-year-old boy in our house last night who's got very interested in the Labour Party. And he sang the red flag to us. I've never heard that song sung before. It's gory. It's about martyrs for a different cause. We hear about martyrs for the cause of ISIS and Islam and goodness knows what else. But do you know, as far as Christian martyrs are concerned, more Christians were martyred for their faith in the 20th century, the last century, than in the previous 19th centuries combined. And in times of martyrdom, in times of danger, in times of risk, the church grows. And yet I can suggest without fear of contradiction that living in Britain as Christians, we have not been used to fearing for our lives. An early Christian apologist for apologist, read spin doctor, publicist, PR executive wrote this, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And history bears this out. A Romanian, Romanian dentist stayed with us in our home in Western Supermare for a while. He told us that in the communist era, times of persecution, the churches were full, but once the persecution stopped, the churches emptied. Now with communist regime, a distant memory, persecution persists in many lands, often from militant Islam, with our brothers and sisters being beheaded, impoverished, banished from their families, the rights of citizenships, Removed persecution here in the UK? We don't know a lot about it. We have it easy, perhaps too easy. But the times may be a changing. 
There are those who have stuck their neck out and experienced disadvantage and discrimination. A friend of ours in Western Supermare, Caroline, a district nurse, offered to pray for patients in the course of her work. She was suspended. There was worldwide outcry and publicity. She was reinstated, but at great emotional cost. Another friend, Olive, a supply teacher, offered to pray for one of her students, a sick girl, and she was dismissed on the spot. Gary, a relate counselor, refused to give sexual advice to a gay couple and he lost his job. Lillian, a civil marriage registrar, refused to consult same-sex ceremonies. She was suspended. Christian hoteliers refusing to let double rooms to same-sex couples close down. A Christian baker in Northern Ireland refusing to decorate a cake for a gay wedding, lambasted in the media. Street preachers accused of homophobia for quoting the Bible and some actually being arrested from by scared policemen. And then recently, Barry, a volunteer prison chaplain, banned after preaching on forgiveness in the course of his message, he quoted a Bible passage which mentioned homosexual offenders, and he was thrown out of jail. Imagine being thrown out of jail and banned from jail. That sounds like a good technique, doesn't it? We should tell the prisoners, that's what you need to do. These stories are becoming more familiar. I'm not suggesting for one moment that each of these persons has been entirely wise in what they've done or the way they've gone about things. But even so, no one has yet been beheaded in our society for putting their head above the parapet as a Christian. And all of these things that I've mentioned in our country, some things happening to people known to me personally, others that you can read about on the internet, all of this is small beer compared to real persecution. Vandalism, threat of violence, actual violence, execution, beheading, the rest. And we're getting worked up about the rejection of a cinema ad featuring the Lord's Prayer. A pastor I met in Egypt was threatened at gunpoint in his study by the authorities. I was dropped at a Cairo street corner to be picked up by a guide who would take me to meet FMBs, former Muslim believers meeting in secret. It was cloak and dagger stuff because conversion was against the law. That guy's on the next picture, Janet. Andrew White, the vicar of Baghdad, lives with the daily reality that his church members may simply disappear. Frontline Christian discipleship is a risky and a dangerous business. And we can and we should pray for our brothers and sisters experiencing real persecution at this time through organizations like Open Doors, Release International, Christian Solidarity, Worldwide International Justice Mission, which is the focus of the swap thing for ladies on Saturday night. But even that can be a cop-out if we are not ourselves willing to take risks as Christians. Let me remind you that this series is called Relying on God. Relying on God. Someone suggested that faith, aka relying on God, is spelled R-I-S-K. Faith spelled risk, the risk of mockery, the risk of embarrassment, the risk of rejection, the risk of economic disadvantage, the risk of imprisonment, the risk of execution. Let me share two Old Testament examples of people who took risks and experienced danger 
relying on God. One of those groups of people we've been introduced to very effectively already this morning. For when King Nebuchadnezzar commanded everyone to bow down to his golden image and a thousand Babylonian bottoms faced towards the sky, three Hebrew men stood upright. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they would not bend. When they were challenged, they wouldn't budge. And then in the fiery furnace, they would not burn. Daniel chapter 3, 17 and 18, they said to the king, as he threatened to throw them into the blazing furnace, and as he tried to persuade them to change their mind, they said this, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But this is the important bit. Listen to this. Even if he does not... Even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. And then Esther. In the face of the planned genocide of her people, the Jews, Esther's mentor Mordecai challenges her. She's the favorite wife of King Xerxes, and he doesn't know she's Jewish. Mordecai says to Esther in Esther chapter 4, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this? Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa. Fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I, give my and, I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And listen, if I perish, I perish. Now those of you who are very astute, and I would grant that of most of you this morning, all of you, sorry, those of you who are very astute will realize that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Esther were delivered. God delivered them from these desperate situations and circumstances. And it would be easy to say that in every situation and circumstance, God's going to step in with his angels and rescue from this situation and that. But that did not happen in every case recorded in Scripture. We go to Hebrews chapter 11. Yes, women received back their dead raised to life again. But there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they may gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. And that was not an illusionist's trick. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered round in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Danger and risk, it's there, it's all over the place when people stick up for Jesus, stand out for Jesus, aren't ashamed to own Jesus. And in this passage this morning from 2 Corinthians, we've looked at the dangers, but Jesus offers us so much more alongside the dangers. 
Danger is not all that is entailed in following Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ offers us life in all its fullness. But it's the fullness of a battle in which he is with us every step of the way. If we're to win a world for Christ, let's make it more manageable. If we're to win Bridge North for Christ, we must be prepared to put our heads above the parapet, to expose ourselves to risk and to danger. I'm not suggesting we court persecution. Rather that we should be neither surprised when it comes nor fear it, but we should be ready. It strikes me we can make a choice today. And the choice is to be sad or to be mad. What do I mean by sad? Sad, we can choose to survive as difference in a holy huddle. And history tells us the ghetto is not always a safe place. Or we can be risk takers, resolving to make a difference for Jesus in the world. And here's some good news, we are not alone. I used to fly rather a lot as part of my work. And many of us here will have experienced turbulence as the plane encounters rough weather. I'm talking about the turbulence when the whole plane shakes, not that inner turbulence depending on what you've eaten before you flew or when you flew. And turbulence in a flight is not pleasant. In fact, it can be downright scary. I've twice experienced total strangers grabbing hold of my arm and hanging on tight till we've passed through the rough conditions and the captain has turned off the seatbelt signs. I remember one of them was a, a little lady, Japanese, I think she was, she was tiny, but the sort of mark she left in my arm from hanging on so tight they took a while to go away. The other was in Northern Ireland, and this was a really cheery chappy until the plane took off, and then suddenly my arm was grabbed tight again. A little girl was apparently flying alone when her plane passed through turbulence. All around, older passengers were fearful. Some began to be concerned for the little girl. Are you okay? She says, I'm fine. You see, my daddy's in the cockpit. My father is the pilot. And as we pass through danger, as we pass through danger and risk, our heavenly father is in the cockpit of the universe. More than that, Jesus is with us in the danger. The Holy Spirit is within us. What then shall we fear? Romans 8 Great words of affirmation and faith. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's relying on God in the face of danger and risk. I want to challenge you this morning. I want to ask you the question that I ask myself. Are you prepared to be a risk taker for Jesus? Even today, certainly this week. We're going to pray as the band come back to lead us in a song which follows on from this idea of us not being alone in the turmoil, not being alone when we wander through the valley. Even though I walk through the valley, I will fear no evil. And it could be that today there are some of us here and we are scared to be known as Christians in our workplace, in the place where we study, 
and the place where we go for recreation. I, I just want us to adopt an attitude of prayer for a few moments. And I just pray for various situations that we might be in this morning where we need to know God's peace. We need to know that He's with us in the most difficult and dangerous situations. I'm going to pray that we'll have courage to take some risks regardless of the consequences. And it wouldn't be right to conclude a talk like this without praying for our persecuted brothers and sisters in other lands. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we confess that we know very little of the kind of danger and risk and persecution that others have experienced in historical times, in Bible times, and some around the world experienced today. We've possibly experienced minor irritations. And yet, Father, possibly some of us haven't even experienced the minor irritations because a spirit of fear has gripped us and prevents us from opening our mouth and owning the name of Jesus in the places where we spend our time day by day. And I just want to pray, Father, for anyone who's here this morning. And that spirit of fear has zipped up their lips, caused them to go under the radar and incognito unwisely and unnecessarily. I just pray, Father, for a spirit of boldness. Amen. Pray, Father, that that spirit of boldness will take a hold of each one of us and that we will be bold in our witness for Jesus. We will be bold in standing up for the principles that we know are right, that you will give us great wisdom to know what to say and when to say it, not that we would do stupid things deliberately to court danger and persecution, but, Father, that you would guide us. I pray, Father, for brothers and sisters in other lands right now, for Syrian believers, for Iraqi believers, for believers who are in the Sudan, the southern Sudan, and other countries where persecution is rife. Pray, Father, that they might experience your presence, the presence of Jesus, as they go through the valley of the shadow of death. And may each one of us know that you are with us every step of the journey as we seek to follow you. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this song together.